0: You know what shouldn't feel like rocket science? Planning a vacation your whole crew will love. With Carnival Cruise Line, it's all up to you. You can kick back or dive right into the fun. Paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship. From a ride on the Bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud9 Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick of restaurants from surf and turf to family style Italian. Then settle in for an evening of live entertainment. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags, be sure to leave room for a few unforgettable memories because no one does fun like Carnival. Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, The Bahamas and Panama. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favourite products at Apple, 2% I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. This is Playing Playing With with Science. Yes, you can call it bobsleigh, or you can call it bobsled. It's entirely up to you. It's loud, it's cold, it's cold in here as well. And it's a ferocious need for speed and a blind faith in one man or woman
1: to steer you on a course that's ultimately true. Yeah, because if you don't, there's an unforgiving wall of ice with your name on it. So with that in mind, you don't have to be crazy but it may not hurt if you are. And being propelled at 90 miles an hour and experiencing
0: up to 5G is not for everyone, but one man who knows what it's like to be shaken and not stirred. I is the you did, t- did you like yeah. that? Uh-huh. Good. Right. That man will be 2010 Olympic champion, Kurt Tomasevich. And because one is never enough, we'll have Kurt's world champion teammate,
1: Steve Mesler on the show as well. Not one, but two two, for the price. Two Olympic gold medal winners. And as we have learned, nothing gets done without science. And so here via Skype to bring it all to life is our good buddy astrophysicist, Charles Lewis. (laughs) Hi, Chuck. Hi, Gary. Good to see you.
2: Likewise, are you a big bobsled fan, Charles? I love it. If you asked me which Olympic sport I would have wanted to do when I was a
1: child, the answer would have been bobsled. Yeah, you know, I don't think you'd be alone in that. I kind of feel that way, too. Well, winter sport, I would like to do bobsled, you know, because it's fast and you're like driving. And it's like it's everything a kid loves, you know what I mean? And it's sledding. Who doesn't love sledding? That's exactly right. That's nice when it's snow and you know
0: some, you know, but not on the ice at ninety miles an hour with five well, G. Might be a little
1: different. Might be a little different to be on the ice at ninety miles an hour <laughs> and doing five Gs. You know that might,
2: five, might be five a... Gs, right? You yeah. know that Gs makes your typical adult head feel like it's hundred and twenty pounds.
1: Wait, say that again. Five Gs makes your head feel like it's hundred and twenty pounds. That's right. So if you're caught in a five G turn, mm-hmm.
2: you try to move your head it's unlikely that your neck muscles will be able to do that. So you're pinned. You have to really rely on the whole rest of your body in order to be where you want to go because you can't lift your head to see where you're going.
0: Uh, Bobsled wow. has just become a spectator
1: sport for me. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Forget <laughs> that. That's crazy. Wow. So that means when those guys are going into those turns, like whatever position they go into the turn, they need to know that because they're going to be like pinned down in that position oh, yeah. the whole way through the turn? They gotta look That is it
2: absolutely in. correct. That's right. And the whole motion of it is amazing. I know that not all of us have gone 90 miles an hour down a highway before, but when you're at 90 miles an hour and you're inside a little thing, just a few feet long and a few feet across, and you've got ice all around you left and right, you better know that you're traveling in the path you want to be. Otherwise your force, your momentum, your kinetic energy is going to go flying somewhere you don't want it to go. That is blind faith in your pilot. Yeah, man. Absolutely. So,
0: so Charles, Okay. So from the gate and the push and, you know, if we've got on a four man bob, they all sort of feather in behind each other. What forces, what is going on? What are they actually scientifically experiencing on this run?
2: The key to winning a bobsled race is obviously your velocity, right? How fast you're going and which direction you're going all the way down the track. The one constant in the whole process is the gravitational acceleration of the Earth. No matter how much you weigh, no matter where you are, you're going to feel a downward acceleration of nine point eight meters per second squared. That's fixed. Right. You
1: can't change that's that that's fixed. fixed. That's right. All right. So, and, okay, and that's that's basically like falling, right? Isn't that that's the that's rate at which anything falls no matter
2: where, right? That's right. Okay. And so you have your track which moderates that acceleration. You have the friction on the blades of the bobsled, which moderates your uh, acceleration. And you have whatever momentum you had, the mass times the velocity of the sled and its occupants to start with when they get in and then they go. You have the viscous drag of the air that prevents you from Uh, that will actually cause you to decelerate, like to lose acceleration, uh, to lose momentum, depending on what direction you're going, whether the wind is blowing in your way, or whether you have one big uh, driver or brakeman in the background standing a little bit too long before tucking in and going into that aerodynamic bullet shape that you want as you're heading down the slope.
0: See, Chuck, you had this theory. I remember when we did NASCAR that we got into sledding for some reason, and you just went, you always gotta have, this is me impersonating
1: you, buddy, you always gotta have a fat kid on the sled team. That's right. <laughs> you too. You need a fat kid on the sled team or you're gonna lose. That's all there is to it. You need, you need some weight on that sucker. So, is it basically the heavier this
0: sled can be, the better? because now they've got weight limitations on individuals and team weight. So how do we sort of factor in the power to
2: weight ratio for this thing to be so, so rapid? That's a great question. It's basically a balance, right, between the friction that will increase if your sled and its occupants weigh more than somebody else's, balanced with whether or not you can get more momentum Which is mass times velocity on the push, right? So if you've got four people pushing, you have the brakeman, the driver, Uh and the two pushers, right? I think that's that's what they're called, right? Yes. And you have these four people going. If they can generate more force uh, in that short period of time that they're pushing, uh, then they will start off on the free slide part, the driven part of the bobsled run, with a greater velocity. So that's where you get the advantage of the mass. But since you are massive, you press down on the track more. And so if you press down on the track more, then the friction that you have with the track will increase because that's the normal force multiplied by the coefficient of friction of the track.
0: Okay. Charles, because we love to reinvent things, NASCAR (laughs) and football and everything else, how about we don't increase the weight, but we increase the mass by getting... So aerodynamic shape of the sled and create a downforce like they do with the with mo- motorsport oh, yeah. over the wheel arches. I mean, not that there's wheel arches on, or even say, Formula One can, where they actually we, yeah.
1: create the like get this a reverse downforce. Plane. Can
0: we do that? Can we create a downforce on the sled and, and create something like that without create increasing
2: the weight? Wow, that's an interesting question. <clears throat> uh, if you try to make it so that as the air moves. Around and above and below mm-hmm. the bobsled, that you're actually creating a downward, an upward draft. Is that yeah. what you're saying? So yeah, that so, that you're, so as we uh, compare so to the pr- tr- so you're so pressing,
1: pressing it the thing, down like, like a Formula One race car. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, the Formula One race car has a slightly different uh, desire, I think. You'd want to reduce, uh, you want to increase the amount of friction uh, because your, your tires are spinning, right? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. A bobsled is a little bit different, at least from my physics perspective, because you're you're not spinning wheels underneath it. Uh-huh. You're uh-huh. tracks. Uh, you're you're on the, the on the runners, yeah, runners. on
0: the runners, runners. the blades, right. Right. and right. so
2: those blades and those runners are sliding friction as opposed to some sort of rolling friction. Okay. Uh, and you have a different kind of dynamic. You may want to do it differently.
0: No, uh, I just wondered, probably- would, it, would it be a benefit to, to have that sort of downforce, but because you've
1: explained it, it's runners, it's really not wheels, it's not really the way forward. So with that in mind, if you had a track that was infinite and always going downhill, would the sled continue to accelerate all the way through? All the way down
2: to the bottom. That's right. Oh, my uh, God. And- Yes. Now this is this is getting into whether or not there's air. Yeah, okay. Ah. If you have friction, and if you have air resistance, what we call viscous drag, you reach eventually something called terminal velocity. Okay. Right? This happens when parachuters, for example, fall. Right. I right? from a high altitude, and they fall for a long period of time, and if they spread themselves out, as opposed to make themselves real small, they eventually the the drag of the atmosphere into their face will cause them to max out at some certain velocity. Okay, so the, the correct answer for what you just asked, Chuck, is that if there is no other sources of, say, friction or viscosity that would otherwise slow you down, yes, you would accelerate indefinitely.
1: So that you can reach a terminal velocity, which will be your top speed, but because of the atmospheric conditions or the the viscosity that you're talking about or even the the ice itself you're that's it you're not going to go any faster with that in mind when you go into a curve or you know one of these banked turns does that slow you down or do you remain the same or or mm. can you speed up great question if you are going into a
2: banked turn you almost always slow down mm. okay. now that's in part because your friction necessarily increases when you slide upward. In other words, you have a yet additional contact with the surface, right? But also because it's banked, what happens is that the amount of force aimed down the track uh, is reduced. Your vectors are sort of split ever so slightly. So you can move faster uh, if you had no friction because you can still feel some portion of that gravitational acceleration, but that gravitational acceleration vector is reduced. Does that make sense? So you so, can still speed up, but you might speed up at a slightly slower rate.
0: So if, I- if we slow down going into a curve, but if I take the higher route, am I, if I'm slowing down, but I'm gaining extra potential energy on the way out, is that correct? Would that be correct?
2: Yes, you gain extra energy on the way up, uh, but then you, you that becomes potential energy. But when you gain that potential energy, you lose a corresponding amount of kinetic energy. So when you come back down, you're basically the same as when you started. You yeah. don't mean anything. Swims anyway. and roundabouts. Yes,
0: pretty um, much. With the skiers, altitude and, and wind resistance come into factor. Would it be the same for a bobsled at, if it was a high enough altitude in terms of the wind resistance that they experience because the banking is kind of enclosed or does that become negligible?
2: That's actually one of the questions that I hope we get a chance to ask our gold medalists, because I've always wondered myself, uh, because bobsleds are small uh, in their profile compared yeah. to skiers. Right. And because, as you said, most bobsled venues are mostly enclosed, right? not quite as outdoors exposed to the elements as a downhill skier, for example. Yeah. I would love to know if a crosswind or some snow or being at 12,000 feet instead of 5,000 feet makes a difference in bobsled run times. My guess is it does, but not nearly as much as you would see from a skier. Right. But then again, remember that if you're going in 90 miles an hour, one one hundredth of a second is more than a foot and a half. So that's more than enough time for you to uh, more. Well, enough, I
0: mean, that's that's as good as a mile for in yeah. a bobsleigh event, you know, in terms of well, that could be first to fifth. Yeah, it could be the difference. And it's that yeah. I mean, you talked about it before, about how upsetting it can be to lose by such a fraction of a second. Yeah. But this is what these guys
1: are dealing with. Yeah, that's right. It's got to be frustrating. You know, quite frankly. Uh, I'd, have, I'd have said something else, but I'll go with frustrating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I lose by any 100th of anything. I want to punch in the face. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. For us, I mean, our regular lives, one 100 is a guy,
2: kind of, what does it matter, right? right? But in this case, it's like, you know, 18 inches. That's plenty to cause you uh, uh, the difference between a gold medal and missing out completely on the podium.
1: So cool. So listen, do, 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 can, we, can we keep Chuck? Let's... Uh, Chuck, can you stick around? Let's, let's take a quick yeah. break. Yeah, let's we'll come do that. Back. Speaking of gold medalists, let's, uh, let's take a quick break, right? And we're going to oh, yeah. bring on a gold medalist. I mean,
0: if it if means we keep
1: Charles Lou, then
0: I am <laughs> all for <laughs> it. Um, right. Let's take this commercial break. Uh, the good Charles Lou will be with us when we get back. But in case you wondered, could that question be answered? It's quite simple. We're going to have an Olympic gold medalist, a former gold medalist on the show, Kurt Tomasevich. if I've mispronounced his name, my apologies. He part of Team USA's gold winning Olympic four man bobsleigh.
1: Sleep, grocery shopping, themselves, just a few things working moms seldom have time for. And during tax season, you can add That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true.
0: Bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy like Super Mario Brothers Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit Nintendo.com US Switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Welcome back, I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. Yes, he is, and this is Playing With Science, and we are still looking at the wonderful winter sport of bobsled. bobsled. We have decided it's bobsled.
1: We're dispensing with sleigh. It's a sled. No, we gotta ask our next guest. We gotta ask Curtis, weighing on this. We gotta ask everybody, because, uh, you What, know? you mean the gold medal? What's that? Winner, Yeah, I'm, Vancouver. You no, know, I'm talking about gold medalists. The guy who's
0: got a bronze medal as well, the guy yeah. who's not won two, but
1: three world championships. Three world, world champions. championships, yeah. That guy, is with guy. us. That's where he's coming, yeah. Right, as a matter of fact, he's here right now. Is he? That's right. Curtis Tomasevich is with us. Curtis, what's happening? Hi.
3: I'm doing good, guys. How are you guys? Isn't that great?
1: Yeah, so now let, let us ask you this. Bobsled, bobsleigh, what is it?
3: In typical American fashion, I think it's, uh, it's bobsled in the US and everywhere else they make it a little bit different and call it bobsleigh. So
1: okay, cool. No, having sleigh. Yeah, there you go. No, I, I want yeah. sled. You want? Yeah, gotta go with sled. He's yeah. from England. and He says sled. So sled. I think we've settled this. Right. You know, right. like, uh, like we'd know anything about bobsledding, yeah. but there you go. I'm just, <laughs> I like the idea of sled.
0: Always oh, sounds like it's going somewhere. Yeah. That's yeah. Very cool. All right. So um, you're an athlete that came out of college football, and straight into bobsledding. Ow! Difficult easy transition to make from a team sport into another team sport? Or did you find it very, very strange?
3: Bobsled is a unique sport where you don't really have to train your entire life to become a bobsledder. Um, you know, most Olympic sports, you have to grow up and have decades of experience in order to get to that point. Uh, but I think all the football training and other sports that I played growing up, that all led to uh, to bobsled training. Um, powerful athletes, squats, cleans, sprints, those, those are the... Kind of the the catalyst of what we have to do, and so without knowing it, I was training for bobsled my entire career.
0: Nice, interesting. Now, since your career as a bobsledder, you are now on the U.S. Olympic Selection Committee.
3: Correct. Yeah. Um, what does what
1: that What's that mean? He gets um, to choose who goes.
3: <laughs> I have a, a say, I guess. Um, it's a it's up to a committee to select the bobsled team. You know, unfortunately, it's not a, a sport where you know, we have a one day trial. Uh, we have to qualify over a series of competitions and our team isn't necessarily just your individual fastest, best pushers. We have to have a good combination of guys and girls to be on our teams.
0: What's the perfect bobsledder
3: then? Uh, it depends on the team. So sometimes, you know, we want to be close to a weight maximum. So we need heavy athletes. Sometimes ah. we want athletes to fit together. Sometimes they need to just plain work well together. Um, a lot of uh, some other subjective factors get played into, um, you know, strength and speed and, uh, power as well.
0: Okay. So with us, we have Dr. Charles Lou still astrophysicist
3: extraordinaire. And
0: Charles, you had a question and I don't yes, believe so. there's anyone more qualified to answer that question. So please.
2: <laughs> sure. And Curtis, let me say again, uh, congratulations on this wonderful career that you've had and thank you for representing and being so successful.
3: Uh, I appreciate it. Thank
2: you. Sure. So here's my question. Uh, How much does the weather actually affect a bobsled competition? We know that, for example, downhill skiers, they're very strongly affected by things like crosswinds, by snow, or by temperatures that can change the coefficient of friction of the slopes. But what about bobsled, which is somewhat enclosed, and you have such a small profile against the atmosphere and the wind compared to a skier, say? Uh, How much does weather affect your runs?
3: Um, I would say weather in general, just as big of an effect. Um, wind, maybe not as much because as you did say, we are in a somewhat enclosed area sometimes. Um, but the temperature and humidity and things like that play a huge effect on the ice. Um, it's not just ice is ice. It's not just cold water, uh, you know, is all the same. Right. Um, so, you know, the different, uh, Minerals within the water react differently to different temperatures. So we can have really cold hard ice or we can have soft warm ice. Uh. All of that plays a factor. Um, Snowing, of course, Um, you know, the order that we go down in a competition is really important. You know, sometimes you want to be first because you get the fresh ice. Uh, Sometimes you don't want to be first because then you're the snowplow kind of clearing out the path for everybody. So there's a it's a game that you have to play within the game. Hey, let me ask you
1: this. uh, Since you just said the different types of ice and the minerals, um, who constructs the track and how do they determine what the track is going to be? The number of turns. And uh, are there any um, are there any restrictions that they'll place on that? Or can you can they just go like this year we're going crazy. Loop de loop. Like
3: what do they do? (laughs) Uh, that's a loaded question, I guess, but it's one of my favorite areas of the sport is talking about the physics and the engineering, um, with my background in education, yeah, uh, along those things. And, uh, you know, when they build a bobsled track, uh, well, first of all, there's not a whole, a big market for, for building bobsled tracks. Um, <laughs> but when they build the track, you know, they're kind of estimating how fast we can go and the G forces and all the pressures. And it's difficult because once you build the track, it's very difficult to change it, and uh, you really don't know how fast you're going to go for sure until you build it. And uh-huh. so, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to predict. Um, there's, a, I want to say, uh, just a couple groups of people or engineering programs, I guess, that have actually uh, built the tracks in the recent Olympics, I guess. And so, um, you know, they're kind of consistent with the number of turns that they have, the length of the course, but all of that is also kind of given to them by the terrain that they have to follow as well. Gotcha. That's uh, pretty wild. Just
0: following on from Charles' question, does altitude have any effect in terms of the thinner of the air is and then the air resistance? Because you're enclosed, does that, is, it, is it negligible? Is it not really something you're concerned
3: about? Um, I would say as far as the altitude with air resistance and uh, for aerodynamics, probably pretty tiny bit. I don't think that's something we're really concerned about, Um, and especially because everybody's competing on the same track at the same time. So that part, maybe not so much, but it probably does play a factor in the ice conditions um, a little bit. And that's and uh, for that reason, you know, we have to determine which runners that we put on the sled work best on different ice conditions. And so, you know, usually temperature and hardness of the ice is the number one thing that we think about. Um, but again, those other factors, um, like I said, snow in the track, if there's a chance of rain, all of that, uh, you know, determines whether we want to use a fat runner or a skinny runner. Um, one that's flat, you know, with less control, but might go faster on the surface. So in a sense, the air pressure, air, um, Temperature as well might play a role there. So
0: when do you get to know these sort of parameters on the track? Is it the day before, an hour? I mean, because you've got to rig this, this sled to do exactly what you've just described. So how long do you get to know in terms of course design and all the other? For instance, the composition of the ice, the minerals therein,
3: do you get to have this information? Um, A lot of times we get a one week preparation before our races on the weekend and that's throughout the world cup season. Um, At the Olympics, we usually get, um, I think up to about 40 practice runs on the track and that's spread out over about a year and a half too. Uh, So there's not a lot of practice time in order to get familiar with the track. And most of that time is spent on the driver really nailing down the profiles and finding the fastest line to drive through the track too. So when you're dialing in the specific ice conditions and the physics of the, uh, the course itself. Um, you know, there's not a lot of time we can spend on that. You know, when we're watching on television, uh,
1: you know, it just looks like these guys are shooting down this tube at incredible speeds. Right. Mm-hmm. But you see at the bottom of the hill that they're separated by hundredths of a second that can win or lose a race. What are the things that we are not seeing, the little tiny errors, the little tiny um, nuances that we're not seeing that causes the difference between those times?
3: Yeah, um, that's it's a great question, I guess, and I'd, I'd love to you know be able to really dive into all the details during our races and really explain all the physics behind uh, uh, our races. You know, we like to break our sport down into three areas, the push, the driving, and the equipment. Mm-hmm. And all of that is, is really important. So of course, when we accelerate the sled at the beginning, And, uh, you know, we're going from zero, a velocity of zero to get as fast as we can, but not just a high velocity, but we want to be accelerating the sled um, as we're getting in as well. So that's the first step into, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to seeing how fast we can get going all the way down the hill because if you have high acceleration, when you get in the sled, it's just gonna amplify your, the difference between sleds as you go down as well. Uh, But once we're in the sled, The push athletes, 99% of their job is over. The rest is up to the pilot. And when the driver's going down, he's kind of a duck on water. He's doing a lot of driving underneath the cowling that we can't see, you know, when you're watching on television. And uh, the way he's steering the sled are very subtle movements. And he's driving most of the, he or she, uh, driving mostly by feel um, because, you know, in a car you can, as you're going down the road, you know, you can turn your wheels and the, the car will turn. In a bobsled, you can turn your runners and you may just keep going straight because you're on ice. Oh, God. And so mm-hmm. you have to wait until you feel pressure. And so the sled can kind of dig into the ice and uh, that will give you a little more traction when you're steering. So those little small steers, when the sled can use those steers, uh, will, will you know put the sled on the fastest line going down the hill. So the ice tells you when you can work with it. A little bit, yeah. You can't really wow. do much steering when you're going straight. Um, right. no. you know, it's not going to have a huge effect. A little bit, but not much. Have you been Shape. able to,
0: with modern technology and, and wind tunnels and, and, every, and all the computer models, to just find extra percentiles of advantage to your
1: time? Through design.
3: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, in the summertime, we've used uh, wind tunnels where we sit down and we use some NASCAR technology to help us in that way. Um, again, with Are technology, You only turn left. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, <exactly. laughs> Sorry, um, couldn't resist that. <laughs> um, you know, we've also now been able to simulate, you know, computer models of a sled with athletes in there. So we don't have to sit in the sled anymore. Again, software can um, you know, kind of simulate that same type of shape and that sort of thing, too. But, you know, you can never completely rule out human variability. So. You know, an athlete has to be comfortable in the sled oh, huh. so that they can push the next day and they're not sore and beat up, you know. How about to- the height
0: of an athlete? Because even though you're up, once you go in, you're in this crouched position. But mm-hmm. if you've got a really tall pusher, it's going to stick oh. out rather badly and ruin your aerodynamics. So, yeah, absolutely. We
3: want to be heavy, but small. So call us dense, I guess. Oh, but yeah.
1: You need a bunch, uh, of, need a bunch of short fat dudes. Oh, here we go again. Uh, oh, short sure sure. uh, oh, yeah. muscular dudes,
2: Chuck. Short yeah. muscular, yeah,
1: that's yeah. right.
0: If we sort of for temporarily skip past the upcoming Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, where is bobsledding in 10, maybe 20 years time? Where do you see this sport going because it's absolute it is a minute long thrill and uh, you know that better than I do for sure.
3: Yeah, honestly, I think uh, you know, we talked about the NFL possibly, you know, having to go through some changes with uh, safety of athletes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. A bobsled ride is a very violent ride. Yes. And uh, uh. I think, you know, looking forward um, we may be next in having to take precautions and having to protect athletes. Um, you know, cause when we crash, which happens, you know, relatively common yeah. uh, you know, there, there's a hard hit as well. So yeah. everybody wants a more fast, you know, exciting sport, you know, where crashes do happen, and that sort of thing. But, you know, if we're really looking out for athlete safety, you know, sometimes it's going to be tough to uh, you know, to really think of that as the best avenue for the sport. If we're talking about safety, I think we may have to take some strides in protecting athletes that way. So, Chuck Lou, is there an engineering
1: um, method to make what we're looking at now as the sled and the, drive, uh, the, the riders, is there, is there anything that can be done to make it safer, like they have skiers who actually have airbags, like yeah. their body becomes an airbag? Are there, are there methods that can, that can be integrated? You can make anything safer, but there's always a cost somewhere, right? In weights or in
2: aerodynamics or something like that that will make the ride slower. I mean, I'm sure Curtis has uh, excellent examples of that sort of thing. Uh, But, for example, a crumple zone in a car, right, is Mm -hmm. something that it can cushion a blow. Or you can imagine a helmet uh, that has a little bit more uh, shock-absorbing capability so that uh, when a person hits the wall, with, it, with your head, it's not quite as violent uh, in the reaction that gets hit in the skull. Uh, but um, in the end, it's got to be trade-offs. And so there are many, many things that can be done, but what's the best thing that can, should be done for uh, a driver or uh, for that matter, anybody in the back as well? And we've, uh, Curtis, you know, we see horrific crashes sometimes, and, and they're, they're sadly often played on highlight wheels, right, in between Olympic segments and so forth. Uh, do you Can you recall like a particularly scary crash for you that where you thought, gee, if I had this particular safety technology, I would have felt much better going into that crash or having experienced that particular crash?
3: Uh, That's interesting question. Um, Possibly, I guess I could say that uh, one of the worst crashes I was in was on a track that was was built in Germany. And uh, the track is kind of old when sleds were going much slower speeds Mm. and now that we're going faster i think the track itself um, is a little bit dangerous and so you know i think you know if you talk about the engineering from a track standpoint maybe we can you know it's not exciting but maybe we keep sleds a little bit slower and uh make you know the the sport again safer in that way um if you're talking about equipment or technology right Um, you know i think helmets as well i think that's an area where you know you can definitely talk about We want as light a helmet as possible because we're sprinting with it on. So we we don't want to be uncomfortable that way. But, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, making a small light helmet isn't always the safest helmet. So as, Mm -hmm. you know, materials develop and, you know, we talk about, um, you know, carbon fiber and, you know, really strong but light material. um, I think that'll help quite a bit, too.
2: Yeah. So I remember, for example, the Lake Placid track uh, has a turn called Shady, which is extremely sharp. And I imagine that if you're going nowadays 90 miles an hour instead of the past when you're going 50 or 60 and you take the wrong line, you could go flying in a very, very dangerous way just on that one curve. It, it, and I don't want to single out that just one curve, but I'm sure there are many others around the world with that same sort of problem.
3: Yeah, I think you know, every track probably has a, an infamous curve where most crashes happen. And, you know, it is pretty scary. Um, honestly, we always talk about the moment of silence. Uh, right before we crash, we are airborne just a little bit, you know, and so that um, is a pretty eerie, uncomfortable feeling where you know it's coming, but it's so fast you don't have time to react. It's just a kind of a, a thing you think about in hindsight. But um, yeah, each track, you know, does have those certain areas that, uh, again, it's it's for excitement. It's you don't want an easy sport either. So, right.
0: you know what'll happen? You'll get the safety aspect of it covered, and then they'll go right. Let's make the course that much more difficult.
1: Yeah,
3: of course. <laughs> well, that's, the way that's, the way,
1: that's the way you'd go yeah, for yeah. it. And listen, I'm, uh, you know, because uh, all I can say is, you know, spending my whole life as, a, um, as an elite athlete, uh, yes. I like being challenged by uh, dangerous situations, <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm sure you'll agree, Kurt. You know? <laughs> anyway, uh, we are time
0: poor. Kurt, thank you. We wish you and your team for the upcoming Olympics in PyeongChang, South Korea. The very best of luck.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for taking the time and joining us. Yeah, may they strike gold. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Exactly. May they strike gold. And of course, too, Dr. Charles Liu, once again. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Right, pleasure we are going to take a break. Um, when we return. From one gold medalist to another. Hey,
1: that's right. Hey, Kurt, we got, uh, we got your buddy coming on right yeah. now. Shame it's we Steve couldn't Messler, get the band huh? back that's together. That's right. We got uh, Steve
0: Messler coming on.
1: Oh, yeah. Stick around.
0: There's going to be plenty of fun. More gold-winning bobsledders coming up. We'll be with you shortly. This episode is brought to you by Progressive
1: Welcome back. I'm Gary O'Reilly, and I'm
0: Chuck Nice. And this is Playing, Playing with, with Science. Science, and today, yes, you know, because you've been tuned in for the whole of the show, it's bobsled. Yes, yep, or and Bob
1: bobsleigh, or bobsled, or bobsleigh. It's an either-or situation. You don't win, you don't lose. Um, I bet you we have somebody who knows the definitive
0: answer with us. I know what I know, which is he's a former Olympic champion that means all gold baby steve messler welcome to playing with science
4: sir how are you i'm great guys how are you guys doing today we're Uh, good
0: so the the big question the burning question obviously that we've just come up with bobsleigh or bobsled
4: it depends on where you are if you're in the us it's bobsled if you're in basically anywhere else that speaks english it's going to be bobsleigh.
1: oh my god it's soccer and football (laughs)
4: <laughs> exactly. There you go, except for we try to keep it sneakier and just change a few hunters. Right.
1: So I like sled. Sleigh's just kind of reindeer and things <laughs> like that. So. Yeah. Nah. Yeah, sled, sled sounds like you are doing something. Yep. Sleigh sounds like a little trip through the snow to there's Grandma's house. There's but little bells.
4: Exactly. You're getting pulled like my like my grandpa used to pull me on the sleigh.
0: Right. Yeah. Sled. That's yeah. got yeah. speed built on already. That's now, right. you were part of... Olympic-winning team, which position on the four-man
4: were you? I pushed on the right-hand side. I was the third guy into the slate. Right. You
0: were also the pilot on...
4: I was a pilot in and out, but I was the push athlete on the team that won the gold medal, and I was kind of a pilot in and out of my career as
1: well. Yeah. You piloted during a two-man, right? Is that... Is that yeah. yeah What's it... A lot of- and over the years. Now that we now that we mentioned that, what's the big difference between two man and four man, uh, you know, because you see, you know, you see them and yeah. it's very hard from the from the untrained eye to figure out why is there a two man and why is there a four man?
4: You know, I mean, the biggest difference, this is a science show, so I'm going to throw some math at you. Yeah. We won't the understand big- it, but by all means, throw away. <laughs> <laughs> sure. the biggest difference is the four-man sled has two more guys
1: in it. Way to go. Oh, hang on a minute. I don't think I, I can handle it. this. Hang on a minute. Not sure if I'm understanding. Okay, tell to me again. Like, tell me, tell me again, Steve. Like I'm a four year old. Uh, sometimes I have some problems following things. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, the biggest difference is that I mean, a two man sled is like a Porsche. Like you can weave in and out. You can get it into trouble. You can get it out of trouble really quickly. Oh. A four man sled is like a Greyhound bus. When you're in a four man sled and you start going, you'll see a lot more crashes happening in four man bobsled than you will in two man. Is that because there's all those people arguing at the back? Exactly. Exactly. And there's the bigger, it's like the bumps in the back. Like,
0: yeah.
4: Um, right. So no, that's, I mean, four man is faster. Uh, four man creates a little more havoc on the track. Uh, it's a lot heavier, which means the G forces are, are, are cutting up the track a lot more. Yeah. Uh, you're, so you're doing a lot more damage to the ice, which again makes it harder to control. Uh, so four man is a lot more of a circus, uh, than a two man, than the two man races. Um, and yeah, in two man, it's kind of more like a track and field where it's kind of like mano a mano. You're one push athlete, one driver, as opposed to a bigger, a bigger thing. See, that. as a pilot, you're the only guy that actually gets
2: to
0: do the whole thing with their eyes open. Clear. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. And now yeah. you you're kind of uh, drive by wire. So you've, you're you steering in, a, in this sort of handle thing. You don't have a wheel or anything like that. It's
4: you've got, you've got these two D rings. They're called D rings. Uh, you've right. got two rings that have ropes that are attached to the front axle, axle. And when you pull to the right this way, the runners will turn that way. When you pull to the left, the runners will turn that way. And that's how you're adjusting the whole time. And then you've got these bungee cords that are attached from the axle to the main part of the sled. So as you pull this way, you're pulling against the bungee cord. So as you let go, they actually it actually snaps it back to center. So you're not having to drive it back to center each time. So ah. you'll see, see the men and women you know, on the top of the hill in Korea, and the you know the NBC cameras will be will be focusing on them, and you'll see them going through their you know going through their mind and trying to drive the track that way. And they're only having to drive this, and then they're just letting you'll see them let the sled go like that. Because what's the margin
0: of error when you're hitting one of those big curves? What's
4: the margin of error? A foot, a yard, an inch? Every, every corner is different. Every mm. corner is different. Um, you'll have you'll have some corners where literally the margin of error between you crashing and not crashing is going to be six inches. Wow. Um, you'll, you'll have other corners where you could get in super late, um, you know, really deep into the curve. You can get in, you'll hear getting on the curves early and late mm-hmm. uh, and you're not going to crash, but you're going to have to drive the sled really hard, which is, which means just like, if you think of somebody, you know, skating on ice, how do you skate on, how do you stop on ice? You you turn your skates. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Bobsled, and you have to turn the sled really hard. And you have to turn those front runners really hard. You're doing a hockey stop with wow. the sled. So now, for for you guys, for you guys behind the driver,
1: um, uh, two things. One, there's got to be some communication between the driver and the and the other guys in the in in, in the sled. And two, uh, incorrect, incorrect. Oh wow. Okay, cool. Uh, what are you guys doing Praying. as this is happening? crying and, and and can you? Can you affect the sled negatively while it's going down through the course? We're tweeting.
4: posting Getting some selfies for Instagram. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. I mean, you got to check and make sure, see what everybody's saying. Um, you are, when you're in the back of the sled, your job, your, your job is to move, move fluently with the sled. I mean, you can't see anything. So you have to know the timing. Of every corner and every curve as they come. Gotcha. You have to move with it. Because if you think about it, if you're sitting in the passenger seat of a car and somebody's driving 100 miles an hour straight and they go and they turn the wheel to the left, you're gonna, you get pushed into the door that way. Right. Well, if that happens, if you don't know the turn is coming and you're going 100 miles an hour at a bobsled and the sled turns, and you get pushed into the side of the sled, you're going to throw that sled off, and, off on an angle because it's on ice. So it's, it's, not a,
0: it's not a case of like, I push it, that's my work done. No. From there on in, the important stuff happens because you've had to visualize the track, the course, the whole way from start to finish, and then be able to intuitively feel any
4: change? And move and move with. I mean, the, the, wow. the important part of the of the push athlete's job is to, draw, is to push and accelerate that sled because that's the only time we as people have a chance to... Uh, you know, affect the the acceleration of the sled. Uh, When the driver's in there, the driver's job is to drive as little as possible. So he or she is hockey hockey Mm -hmm. stopping as little as possible down the track. And the push athlete's role is to, yeah, is to move with it. So they're causing as little disturbance in that sled as possible. So
0: when when you're training, do you employ sort of virtual reality training or is it a case of the track is what it is when we get there? Or do you have an advantage from, from a build-up point of view?
1: And how much yeah. do you
4: get to, how much do you get to practice on the track? Cause this sounds, well, this sounds really dangerous. Not much. No, I mean, not much. I mean, when you see the people competing in the Olympics this month in Korea, uh, you know, they'll have had maybe a week or two of training last week on the track, two runs a day. They'll have uh, a week of training on the track this past fall and then they'll have two or three days of training before the race. Oh my so, God. And no more than two runs a day because the G-forces that you go through is just too hard on your body, so you typically don't do much more than two a day.
0: Wow. How do you cope with that? How do you train for the G-forces? I mean, what do you do? Go to the local space center and ask them to spin you around
4: this big centrifugal thing? <laughs> know. Okay. I mean... <clears throat> It's you spend a month on ice before the season starts and you kind of remind your body what's happening and and you mind your neck and your back because that's really you're, you're bent over in that sled. And, and that's when you've got five G's pushing you down like that, your neck and your back, gets pretty stiff and sore. So you, you just work through it um, and go. I mean, it's not that it's actually it sounds a little scary than it is to go through those kinds of G forces. Um, it's more of the body just gets used to it. So I mean, there's got to be a lot of trust between you guys. So in other words, I you, mean, get,
0: you yeah. get off the you get off the sled and you say my back hurts, and you, all you hear is a chorus of deal with it.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I but, mean, uh, that's basically what that's basically what you're getting. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah, yeah, Everybody else would just say yeah, me too. So, but but what I was
1: saying was there's got to be a lot of trust between you guys on the team as a unit because yeah. it kind of looks like there's a guy driving and there's three guys riding. But now that you've really explained this. Everybody is playing an active role the entire way down the course, and if one of you messes up, you could really screw up
4: everybody and everything. Yeah, absolutely, no. I mean, that's, I mean, it's it's a team sport through and through. Whether it's two man or four man or two woman bobsled, uh, it is a or bobsleigh depends upon uh, you know. Right. We're time, going with you know, sled. You to to stand, where you happen to be standing. And, um, and, and that's, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful thing about the sport is everybody has roles. Everybody's roles kind of ebb and flow of the importance of what they're doing when they're doing it over the 40 or 50, 60 seconds of the run, depending upon which track you're on. Uh, and you have, you have to have absolute confidence in your driver and the driver has absolute, has to have absolute confidence that you know, the, the, the team is going to do their job on the low. They're going to do, do their job on the push and give them the proper acceleration. And the driver is part of that. Just like. The, the push athletes are part of, you know, making sure the sled is fast down the hill, um, along with the driver. So
0: we've got the push, so okay. we've, we've got the muscle, we've got the momentum going, you all jump in, in sequence, and someone sticks a spike where you don't need one. And you're kind of like in an awkward position. You kind of, Has that happened? Where someone's, you, you, you've all got to fit in nicely as little component pieces, but all of a sudden you're human, it goes wrong. What happens
4: then? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's hundreds of tiny little pin spikes on the bottom of those on the bottom yeah. of our spikes tr- or our bobsled spikes. Yeah, it's not like a track and field shoe where there's like seven. There's like hundreds of these little ones, and they're like a brush uh, on the bottom of the shoe, and so your your feet kind of stick like Velcro, like the little hooks and Velcro. All right, nice. And, and it's great when you're on there. But yeah, to your point, you get in. Um, you can ask my teammate Kurt Tomasevich, uh what happens. Um, I got in. I, we got back from the track day one after our first uh, the first race in vancouver so there's two days of racing two heats per day mm-hmm. the cumulative four heats and we get back to the track We get back to the, the olympic village after day one and we had a great day we were up by i think 43 hundredths of a second which is a lot of time in bobsled it's it's a whole lot of time in bobsled wow and um and you know the adrenaline of the day was starting to wear off i hopped in the shower and all of a sudden I, ah, and I started yelling and I looked down and Kurt had, in fact, spiked me in the calf um, getting in earlier. <laughs> in the day. And he hadn't done that in years, actually. And he could hear me yelling at him from the shower. And <laughs> he came back and he just kind of slumped his head and was like, sorry, sorry man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> sorry, dude. So when yeah. you guys when you guys are in. in How do you sync when you're running and pushing off? Is this uh, internal timing? Is there any communication between you while you're uh, pushing off? I mean, how exactly do you time that out so that, uh, you know, everybody's in the sled exactly when they're supposed to be?
4: Yeah, I know. It's a good question. Uh, Practice. Uh, Just like anything else. I mean, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of thousands of reps, uh, in the ice house, which is a, a training facility or on the hill or on dry land or in the garage. Uh, but you'll hear the teams when you're watching Bobsled at the Olympics, you'll hear them and they'll they communicate between the push athletes and the driver to make sure that everybody's starting at the same time because there is no red light it's not like in racing where it's like red, red, yellow, green and it goes yeah. everybody goes. You have 60 seconds to go and there's a clock that's coming down and you're allowed to go at any point in that 60 seconds. So what's so- the
0: code? What's, what's so, the code uh, between everybody?
4: Every, every team is different. Yep. Um, our code was back set. The, the brakeman would yell back set. And then the front driver would yell front set. And then the driver would yell ready and. And then we'd hit the sled. So back set, front set, ready and. Wow. Dang. Wow, that's cool, man. All
0: right. Your, your gold winning team is yeah. called the night train. It's
4: called the night train.
0: There's a reason. And you're going to please tell us.
4: Well, I, you know, and the name actually came up because the sled when we first got the sled it was fast it was fall of 2008 a couple years before the olympics and the sled was super fast we were in training in like in park city and when they when the sled engineers send us the, the new sled they just send it with a primer coat on because the hard coats are expensive and if they have to do any adjustments you just don't want to bother putting on that nice glossy coat so they just had this like matte black primer coat on it all right and it was like all right we want this slide. It's going to come to Europe with us next week. And the engineer was like, well, hold on. We need to get it back to Connecticut, which is where all the Bodine slides were. We need to get the hard code on it, do some things. And we were like, no, no, we don't need a hard code, Just set it to Europe. We're going to race in this thing. And he said, okay, but he, you know, he wanted to have something on it because it looked really plain. And Harley Davidson had a, a motorcycle that was matte black. Uh-huh. Back, way back in the day. And it was called the Night Train. And our slide engineer, Bob Cunio just thought that was a really cool idea. And the slide showed up a week later in Lake Placid before we were going to ship these out to Europe. And it had this sticker on it and it had this night train logo on it. It said the night train. So it was Bob Cuneo gets all the credit.
1: Fair enough. It. Hey, it th- be I'm more just- American if you called it the Screaming Eagle Mom Train. So that's awesome. If it was a six-man slide, that would have fit.
0: <laughs> how, do, how, how do you look at it and say... This sled's fast. I mean, apart from the fact it's got an engine on it and wings. But so how, how do you design something that's faster? Because it just, they all look the same. I know I'm being daft with this, but surely there's a reason why it was faster. No, it's a
4: good question. It's a good, I mean, we spend a lot of time in the wind tunnel. We spend a lot of time in digitization. Yeah. Uh, and we, we, work on, we work on the math. We work on the, the aerodynamics. Uh, and, then, and then, you know, lastly, we get on the, we get on the track with it and we'll use our old sled and our new sled and we'll, we'll test back and forth, back and forth and forth. And you're, you're testing against, you know, on a track like Park City, which Steve Holcomb, uh, our driver who recently passed away this year. Yeah, that's
1: very sad. Very sorry. Yeah.
4: Thank you. It was, he was born and raised in Park City. He knew that track like the back of his hand. He could drive it the same way every single time. So we would use the same set of runners, the blades, the metal blades in the bottom of the sled. And we would just trade the sled back and forth, um, and do everything else the same. And and it was the slide was amazingly faster than the old one. Wow. So but we're running out of
1: time here, but uh, we've been remiss to let you go without talking about classroom champions yes, and please. how bobsledding led you to classroom champions and to where you are right
4: now. You know, I, I used to go into schools and give a talk just like any athlete or any other successful business person or anyone else. And I used to go into a school. I'd give a talk. Um, and then I'd leave, and I'd never see those kids again, and I'd always say, if one or two kids listened, it was worth my time, yeah. and we yeah. just thought, you know, my sister was getting her PhD in education. I was living this life with the 10-year-old kid, in that's what I just thought was amazing, and we, we wanted to do something that would make a difference, and Classroom Champions has turned into over 100, over 100 Olympians, Paralympians, uh, college student-athletes, NFL players, mentoring via technology, via, via Skype, via uh, async get his video and social media, more than 25,000 kids. Um, and what's really cool for your audience is we're partnered with NBC, and on February 22nd, every single school in America is going to be able to talk to amazing athletes like Aaron Hamlin and a lot of Myers-Taylor that you're going to see all over NBC and do a live chat with them. So folks uh, can help
0: Well us. done you, sir. Well done the organization.
4: Thank you.
1: Hey, man, this was really cool talking to you. Thanks so much. I hope um, uh, that we'll get to do it again, uh, uh, whether it's Classroom Champions or Bobsledding or Track and Field or anything (laughs) else that you have been involved with over your life, because it has been a lot. So uh, we certainly look forward to having you back, man.
4: Thank you, guys. I love everything you're doing and uh, keep up the great work. Enjoy the Olympics. You too.
0: Thank you. Steve Messler there. Yeah, man. Former Olympic gold medal winner.
1: Man, it must feel good to have Winner, this, right? by the way. Isn't it going feel good, right? You know what I mean? I wish I, w- if I had been, if I had won a gold medal for anything, like even if it was filled with chocolate, <laughs> okay? It'd be I like, know what you're gonna do. Yeah, it'd be like, chuck nice gold medal chocolate winner. <laughs> even, yeah, gold fidget spinner. I don't care what it is you give me. <laughs> give me the gold. <laughs> give me the gold.
0: Oh, man. Oh,
1: wow. Um, yeah, well, I hope you've enjoyed our show. Yes, it was a good one. Yeah, bobsled? Yeah, bobsledding. Bobsled or bobsleigh? It's no, an either-or it's bob situation. Sled. No, we bobsled. It's fi- bobsled. Yeah, yeah, that's a done deal. Bobsled. And if there is a
0: bobsled out there, we like you as well, sir. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't just do that. I did. That's awesome. I couldn't resist it. Right. <laughs> um, on that wonderful note, uh, that's it from us. Bobsled over and out. Hope you've enjoyed it. I am still Gary O'Reilly. And I'm still Chuck Nice. See you soon.